Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Well, good morning. How many of you guys enjoyed the snow this weekend? Wasn't that incredible? It was amazing. Um, and um, I know I know what kind of time I'm dealing with today. I know the SEC tournament starts in 40 minutes. And um, I, I told 9 o'clock, I said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to have to do at 11 o'clock is get up, just ask if anybody needs to be saved or baptized, and then dismiss. And so um, that's what I'm going to do right now, and then we're just going to pray, okay? No. Um, I um, I'm so thankful for you being here. I know it's it, th- this is always a, a weird weekend because it's like uh, we've got uh, time change and we've got uh, a tournament that we all care very much about, and then we've got um, spring break at Harding, and then next uh, week from now, spring break starts for Cersei, and uh, it's just spring. So I just want to encourage you guys if you're going to be traveling. Over the next couple of weeks, be safe, have fun, uh, come back to us in one piece, and, and we're going to be uh, praying for. Just don't send me any pictures because it makes me jealous and it makes me hate you. So just uh, keep, keep those things to yourself. But uh, today I'm going to do just a standalone uh, message. And this message that I'm going to talk about today, I try to, to talk on this text every couple of years. And I just simply do that because... Um, I think that this character that we're going to talk about today is strong, um, and I think uh, he's relevant to every single person in the room. Now, this is a well-versed text. As a matter of fact, in the 20s, when uh, revival swept across our country, um, there were a lot of those teachers and evangelists and pastors of those churches who uh, had a strong, strong message on this text and uh, and so you'll you'll know where I'm going with it in just a minute. It it tends to be a salvation message or a story about second chances, but actually it gives us a lot of insight into uh, the Father's love, but not only His love, but His patience, His ability to just stand fast uh, with you, uh, regardless of what you're experiencing and what your thoughts are and what your challenges are, um, even though He's way ahead of us with um, our emotions and His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are higher than ours, and so on and so on. He's so patient with us, and I think this text clarifies that. Also, the character that we're going to talk about today is one that we often criticize. Um, We tend to just rubber stamp him as, um, you know, the uh, person who you don't want to be like. We've preached against him for many, many years, and uh, we don't know his name. He's actually nameless, Um, and the only place he's even talked about in Scripture are from the seven verses that I'm going to read you this morning. But um, he is often portrayed, as as I've already said, as a bad apple. But this morning, I'm going to um, talk him out because what I believe is that he's you and me. Uh, I I just believe when I see him, uh, every time I read this story, I look at it and I go, man, that guy's me. And I I see my life through the lens of this character. And so I hope you'll join me over the next uh, few moments this morning as, as we look at this. So go to Luke chapter 15. If you're a note taker, I'm going to read verses 25 through 31. 
And this is the story of the prodigal son, but we're not going to be talking about the prodigal. We're going to be talking about his eldest brother or the other son or the prodigal's brother, however you want to frame it. Uh, We're talking about that guy. And so this is such a big, long text. I'm going to clip it to just this this small segment. And you also need, need to know that this is a teaching of Jesus. So he's teaching Uh, the people, this story, and the context here is that he's just been asked, uh, why do you hang out with sinners? And so his response is to tell this, this parable and this story. So Luke 15, 25 through 31, it says, Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed you, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. What he's saying there is much less the fattened calf. So you never gave me a lesser animal to celebrate with, uh, much less what you've given my brother. Verse 30. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, okay, that's strong right there comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now, how I want to start this today is by simply looking at the verses in their obvious form and trying to extract the strength of this conversation and the statements that are going back between the father and his eldest. Okay, so there is a lot of story. There's a lot of heat to this. There's a lot of hurt feelings. Uh, There's a lot of emotion because on one side, you've got a hurt brother. On the other, you've got a son that's come home. You've got a party atmosphere around the house. And so you've got a lot of family dynamics going on uh, all in this one story. But let's, let's back up. Let's look at the story sentence by sentence and just break it down just a little bit. So it says, the other son was in the field. Now, when I read this, um, quickly, I I see this one thing, and I may be overthinking it. I'll let you decide that. But it, it says, the field. Now, that's not compared to a field, okay? Which means, like, there was a son who was in a field. It's like saying, I slept in a house last night. Um, but if, if I walked up to you and I said, hey, I slept in a house last night, you would kind of look at me like, but was it yours? You know. And so there's a difference between saying I slept in the house and I slept in a house. And it's the same here when he says the field, it is their field. It is ownership. It's the field, you know, the one, the field that we provide food for this table on. That's the field that I've been in and the eldest had, had, had been there. So this son, this eldest son, is a lot like you and I in the fact that he, and I'm, I'm going to equate this to and modernize it for just a second, but there are people who have loved the Lord, who have been faithful to him, who have been gracious to his church. And I'm talking about capital C. I'm not just talking about the New Life banner. But there are people who have been gracious, capital C, 
They have served it. They have given their lives to it. They have forged ministries to it. They have given up other things that they're skilled at and probably could do, could do great things with to be a part of the local church. And this is this eldest son. He's at home in the field. And so this is right where he needed to be, in the field, helping. He's the eldest. He's got a lot of responsibilities. He's been around this family for a long time. This is a field that he knows. He's been in it for so long, possibly since he was a kid running around. He knows every square inch of it. He knows what soil on it yields better. Um, he knows the measurements of it. He's probably overseeing a group of people who are working this field, and they are exactly where they need to be, out there with their sleeves rolled up, hands-on, making it happen, producing food, taking care of this family. They are in the field. And there are a lot of you who don't have a prodigal son story. Like, this is how you grew up. You grew up loving church, serving church, knowing Jesus in the field. So you are parking cars and pouring car coffee and teaching kids and resetting something or up here on a Saturday getting something ready so that we can do this right here that we're doing right now and that your kids can do what they're doing right now. They are in the field and they're in the place where they're supposed to be and need to be. This field and the fact that the elder brother is even there symbolizes a host of things. It symbolizes loyalty, work ethic, consistency, accountability. I'm sure that this eldest brother is, is one that could be counted on. They knew where he would, 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 would be. I bet if people looked for him, they would say, have you checked the field? Because he's always there. He's got a spot. He loves it. He serves it. He does it consistently. He's accountable to it. He's predictable. He's up with the sun. And he gets his work done. And so in verse 25, it, it continues. This is the guy who's been out there working, making it happen, pushing the wheels forward. And he continues in verse 25. It says, when he comes near the house, he heard music and dancing. So as he comes up for a break or for a meal, or maybe it's the end of his shift, he comes up and he hears something. This is where it gets even more sensitive for you and I, especially if you've been that person who has spent your life working in the field. He hears a party that he doesn't feel he was invited to. Suddenly there's music and dancing from his house that he hears from the field. And he wonders what's going on. Nobody shared with him. He has to reach over and grab one of, of the servants and say, what's going on up there? He'd been, had, had he been working so hard that he didn't hear it? Maybe he was so enmeshed with the work of God and what he was doing, if I'm comparing this, he's, he's got his head down, he's making church happen, he is steady, he is faithful, he is accountable, he's consistent. And maybe the way that he was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in him. And his, so he's got this pace going and a cadence going of life that he can't sustain. And because of that, he didn't even hear. 
Because he's so enmeshed with the work of the field. Maybe he wasn't invited. We don't know all of the layers here, but maybe there's a backstory. Maybe dad knows what's going on. Maybe it happened so suddenly and this party became so quick and infused with the brother coming home that all the attention shifted over to the prodigal and the eldest got left out. So I want to ask a question. I want us to pause just a moment and ask ourselves this. Have you ever felt left out? Let's add a, a, a layer to that. Have you ever felt left out of what God was doing? Maybe you're that person now. You've grown up. You've taught Sunday school. You've served kids. You've done things. You, you're a faithful giver. You are here every week. You're here every single Sunday. The moment we opened up on Father's Day, post-COVID, you were here. You were in the building. You were helping get things done. Maybe you go far as back as to be at, at the carpet store, and you had us help, helped us to set it up and tear it down and keep it maintained and do all the things that had to happen over there. And that's you. That's your life. That's, that was your parents' life. The local church was such a, a part of your life that you can't imagine who you are without it. But yet we do, oftentimes, we fall into the same temptation that anybody else does. And maybe you're here today and you look at your life, and unfortunately, you've looked across the fence line at a neighbor, or you've looked at a co-worker's life, or you've seen a story online and you look at it and you see God blessing something and you don't see that same blessing on your own life. So you look over there and you go, man, why, why isn't God doing that for me? I, I'm the one who's been, I mean, Lord, I've been, I've been giving and serving and I've taught Sunday school and I've been at the church and man, I've done all these things. I'm, I'm on the serve teams. I'm a giver. I'm a doer. So why are you blessing them and not me? Why does it always look like they're getting a miracle? You know who they are. Just someone out there. Someone who's not you. So you get this story back of this, how something turned and something changed and something got blessed, but yet you feel like you've been losing traction on your business or your marriage or your spirituality or some other relationship, friendship, some other endeavor or venture that, that you want to flourish. You feel like the wheels are just spinning. But yet you hear the music and dancing for somebody else. So verse 28, it says, and here, here's where the rubber really meets the road in this story. It says, the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. I look at something great, something good, something that God seems to have his hand on and doing, and I look at it, and I almost resent it because it's not happening in my life. And so I've been digging in, and I've been praying, and I've been believing, and I've been faithful, and I've been consistent. I've been in the field, but I hear a song coming from somewhere else, and I don't even know about it. Well, you know what? I'm mad about it. 
And now because of that, I'm just going to back off. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to, I'm going to not go for a while. I'm going to not serve for a while. I'm not going to give for a while. And we'll just see how you feel about that, Lord. I'll just take a pause. I'll dial it down. I won't serve with as much zeal or energy or passion. I won't, I won't care as much about the things that are out of my grasp. If it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And so forget about it. I'll just dial it down and maybe I'll go after the things that are, you know, that I'd like to do for a while. So there's a piece missing here by this statement. I'm mad and I won't go in. Maybe he's angry. Let's just peel back a layer for just a second. Maybe he's angry because his brother left in the first place. Maybe this anger is really displaced and it's really because of so much love that he's really mad. Like he wants to go to the prodigal and go, you left us. And I love you and I've missed my brother. You skipped out. One day you, I was in the field, I come in, you're gone. Maybe he's angry because his leaving created more work for him. You were gone. Somebody had to fill in the gap around here. I took on your teams. I took on your responsibilities. So when you left to go have, have a good time and you checked out, man, you, you dumped all that on me. I don't know if you know that or not, but you did. Maybe he's angry because he had to watch a family go through depression. Maybe if, if, if this continued this conversation and we got all of the details, maybe he wanted to go to him and go, you know what, have you seen our father? Do you want to know what this guy went through? I saw our father crying over you. And every night he'd come out to this porch and stand in the hopes that you'd come marching back. And night after night after night and season after season, you didn't do it, and you broke his heart. So I'm not going in to your party. Maybe he's angry because he took half the resources. Maybe he said, listen, when you left, you hurt us financially, and now we've been working weekends and overtime trying to make up that money. You went ahead and took everything that was yours, and now we didn't have it anymore. There was a gap in this thing. Maybe he's angry because he thought he was dead. Maybe it was like, do you know the emotional turmoil you've put us through all this time? You didn't call, you didn't write, you didn't post on Instagram. We've been trying to find you. We've been looking around. Nobody knows anything about you. Nobody knows, knows your story. We just thought you left and you died. and you, We've grieved you. I won't go in. So he continues to tell his father in verse 29, he says, this is great, okay? Put yourself in this. He starts off with his dad. He says the father goes out to plead with him, and he says, all these years. I mean, he's starting to let the cap off of this now. All these years I've served you. All this time, my whole life, 
I watched my parents do it, and I did it, and we've kept this thing going, and we've kept it alive, and we continue to tell the story of Jesus, and we continue to give, and we continue to serve, and we do it week after week after week. I know nobody has to convince me. Nobody has to call me. The pastor doesn't have to shake my hand. I don't need a motivational speech. I just go, and I do because I love it. It's a habit in my life. It's something that I practice. Nobody has to tell me to get up and go into the field. It's the story of my life. All these years, I've given you time. I think he has said, I've given you my youth. Like I had a season of my life, I could have done anything, Dad. I had a season of my life, I could have dreamed my own dream. I had a season of my life, I could have gone and got my own place. I mean, but those years are gone. I gave you all these years. I gave you my zeal. I gave you my energy. I gave you that season of my life where I could work 16-hour days. And he goes on. He says, I've been serving. He's saying, I've given you loyalty. I've given you strength. I've given you my talent. I have emptied myself for this family. He goes on. He says, I've never disobeyed you. I've given you obedience. I've deferred my own desires. Dad, you don't think there's something in me that has with dreams occasionally of doing something else, but going out into that patch of dirt out there? I do it because you asked me to. I do it because this place has my name on it. I do it because I love you and I respect you and I obey you. All these years, I've been serving. I've never disobeyed. And he says this, and you never gave me. Y'all hear what I'm hearing, the story? You never gave me. What that sentence means is I feel slighted. I feel undervalued. I feel unseen. I feel overlooked. And he feels in this moment, hear me, that his father is celebrating someone who is being redeemed rather than someone who has remained rooted. In other words, he's saying, what about my party? You never even gave me a goat, much less a calf. And I I think sometimes we feel this way. We do church and we love the kingdom and we're looking for opportunity to share and, 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 and we're deferring our own lives and sometimes even dreams to give it up to go, man, I believe in the kingdom so much that I'm going to give up on the thought of what might happen, could happen in my life because to pursue and make sure that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation get to hear about the story of Jesus. And he's upset that his redeemed brother gets a party, but his faithful self doesn't. Now watch verse 31. Here's the father's response. He starts off, I love this. You got to hear, hear the tone here, the inflection. He says, my son. My son. He affirms him. 
You got you to get this. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. You don't belong to anyone else. You are not lost. You are not out there. You are not without identity. You are not, not without a place. You are not absent of love. You are not overseen. You, you are not over, over, overlooked. I love you. You are my son. He immediately speaks to those issues. And he says this, you are always with me, always. I'm, I'm with you. You're, you're with me. You're never lost. You're never undone. My son, you are always with me. Now, when I thought about this, I couldn't help but think about the, the two comparing stories found. In, uh, one is in Exodus 33 and the people around Sinai. And I don't have time to get into it. But basically, the Lord's asked them to keep on moving, keep on pursuing. And Moses prays to God. He says, listen, if you're not going to go with us, then leave us here. Because this is a good thing we got going on. So if you're not going to go with us, then leave us. And the reply from God is this. He says, the name of the Lord is going to go before you and goodness is going to go before you. So if you break this down, he's saying Jesus is before you as a type and shadow and goodness is before you. But then David pins in Psalm 23 that goodness and mercy is going to follow you. So imagine your life right now. Imagine being in the field. Imagine doing your work for God. Imagine the things that you do for this church. And every step you take, Jesus and goodness have already gone before you. You are walking into the goodness of God. Why? Because he's been before you. But then as you look in your rearview mirror, goodness and mercy follow you. That means if there's anything back here that I didn't like, that my immaturity just about spoiled my life on, things that almost got me derailed, people that I hurt, things I said, things I didn't mean to do and did them, there's goodness back there. There's mercy back there. He said, that's, that's what I mean. You're always with me. This is the benefit of being in the field. This is the benefit of being my son, of being my daughter, is you're with him, and he's with you. And Jesus, goodness, goodness, mercy is all around you. And he ends with this. Watch, this is powerful. And everything I have, is yours. That ring I gave your brother, it's always yours. That robe, it was always yours. Those sandals on his feet, it was always that fattened calf, I don't care about that. It was always yours. And the next calf and the next calf and the next calf. As far if you will look out in this pasture, every animal out there is yours. The grass under it is yours. The dirt under that is yours. Everything in this place belongs to you. All that I have is yours. And how quickly we forget that every day is a party for us, for the faithful, for the consistent, for the accountable, because he is here with us and everything he has is yours. And how quickly we forget that all those things are ours. So I'm going to shift us for just a moment into, into gratefulness and gratitude. No matter what you're going through, you could be going through the worst thing right now. I want you to shift right now into just gratitude. You know, we've always had shoes to wear. They may not be the shoes you wanted. They may not have been brand name shoes, but they were, they were, they were yours. That was provision. 
When my parents had us, they were broke as a joke. They, my, my mom would go to garage sales and bring home shoes for me, and I was embarrassed. I didn't like it. They were already worn. They looked like somebody was about to throw them out. But, but for me, they were new, and I would wear them. My parents got onto me just a little bit when I was 16. My first paycheck, I was working at Kroger my, here in town. My very first paycheck, I went out and bought a pair of Colhan shoes. They were 110 bucks, and they got all over me because it was my entire paycheck. But I loved them, and I shined them because I remember what it was like. Everything I have is yours. And both of those came from God. The garage sale shoes came from the Lord. The colons came from the Lord. We've had food to eat. It may have been thin sometimes. We always joke to David Bunting, but it's a true story. When he was in college, he was so hungry one night and so broke, he had a ketchup packet to eat. He had a coupon for something, to, for a free sandwich or a free taco at Taco Bell or something. He went to get in his car. He didn't have any gas to even make it to Taco Bell and back. So he went back into his little apartment, opened, started going through drawers, found a couple of ketchup packets, ripped them open, shot them in his mouth, and went, went to bed. That's a thin night. We've had shelter. You may not live in a palace, but you've had shelter. It may not be the home that you're going to stay in the rest of your life, but you've got it. I looked at a story yesterday. This NBA player, a rookie for this, this past year, he got a big fat contract and he went to his family and he said, I, I, I want to know what gifts you guys want because I'm going to share this because all of you raised me. And his mom said, I don't, I don't want anything. Go talk to your Grammy. And so he goes to his grandmother and he talks to her. He said, Grammy, uh, I, I want to ask you, what, what, do you, what do you want from me? Because I, I, I want to give you something back. Do you want a car? Do you want a house? And she said, a house would be really nice. And he said, Grammy, what, what kind of house do you want? And he was thinking in terms of just like the style and the stuff in it, all the bells and whistles. And she said, son, I want the Lord to send a heavy rain. And I want it to rain all night long. And I want to wake up in the morning dry. And that's a nice house. I'm telling you, that lady's got a story. Everything he has is yours. All of it. Now listen, your story, because a lot of you were raised in church, a lot of you have always loved the church, your story may seem boring to you. Your story of consistency and accountability and, and obedience may be, to you, seem like, like, like a weak testimony. Don't think that for a moment. It's incredible, the level of obedience that represents this place. Your story may not include a pig pen and prostitution. It may not include squander or prison time or wheelbarrows of guilt. Your story may not include a lot of shame, but it does include a lot of sustain. Because of you, this church is sustained. Because of you, we've had the ability to keep going. When we had post-COVID last year, we opened up, up the doors and you came in, you made it happen. We had, we had uh, close friends of mine were shutting doors down. I had a buddy of mine, he goes back to church after, after COVID. Nobody came. Nobody came the next week. And the next he preached to his own family four weeks in a row and just said, I guess we're over and closed the door. But you came back. We came in this morning and flipped lights on and they worked because of you. 
We're able to be in this place and celebrate and talk about the good news of the Lord every single week because you sustain it. That's not a staff that does that. That's a we thing. You do it. You're in the field. Everything we have is from God. Listen, I'm going to close with this. Psalm 3, 5, David says, I lay down and I slept and I woke up again because you had me. The King James says, because you kept me. I love that. Again, everything I have is yours. My sleep is yours. My rest comes from you. I lay down and I slept and I woke up again because you kept me. You sustained me. Psalm 37, verse 25, he, David again, he says, I was young and now I'm old and I've never, ever seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Why? Because it's a reward of being in the field. Steadiness may not constitute a party, but it does constitute honor, and honor is the currency of the kingdom. Faithfulness is worth a trillion dollars in the kingdom. Spiritually speaking, most of you in this place are wealthy because of faithfulness and obedience. So let me end. David, if you guys would go ahead and come. Two very, very, very quick thoughts here. If this is you, if you're tempted with the game of comparison, if you're looking around and wondering where all the singing's coming from and, and you look and you don't have an invite, if you're looking across the street and there's a party and they didn't ask you to come over, if you feel left out, if you feel undervalued, if you feel unseen, you need to change your perspective. Because when you see unfaithful people being blessed, remind yourself that God will reign on the just and the unjust. The kingdom of God is not about just a few of his favorites. The word clearly teaches us that God so loved the world. Every color, every ethnicity, every bit of diversity, every socioeconomic background, every bit of brilliance, every bit of ignorance. God loves you and you are his son, his daughter. When you hear music coming from a direction that you're not involved in, let your life be full of joy. And lastly, not only change your perspective, but change your attitude about it. Realize how blessed you are. I think sometimes to be thankful for the field that you're standing in. Be thankful for your church. Be thankful for this place. And I know that we always pray for another church, and that's great. It's wonderful. It's healthy. It's, it's, that's that's a God thing. But we need to be thankful for this place, for what God does here, for how God wants to use you here, for, for the vision that's over this house. Be thankful for this field. Be thankful. Some, sometimes you need, you need to say, God, I thank you for this job. Not my dream job that's five years away, but the job I'm in. And you may hate it, but be thankful for it. You may live in what you think is the most embarrassing place, but be thank God, thank you for this house. Thank you I'm not on the street. Thank you for this car. I had a car one time. Every time you started, you had to rub the dash and talk to her a little bit to get her going. Maybe that's what, you, what you're driving today. You know, Come on, baby, you can do this. <laughs> And you hate that car, and maybe she's left you a lot. 
without being able to be transported. But God, I thank you for this car. God, I thank you for my spouse. I told the early service that nothing works at my house without Robbie. For one thing, it's too quiet. All the details are covered when she's there. Things I don't think about just magically appear. They just magically get taken care of. And we're not perfect, and we've been very candid about that. There's no way I'd get up and say, we have the perfect marriage. That's not true, but man, I thank God for her. Thank you, God. So maybe we need to say, God, thank you for my spouse, for my marriage, for my house, for my car. Not some dream down the road, but where I, because all that I have right now is yours. Why don't you stand with me all across the building today? I'm going to read 1 Peter 4, 19, and then we're going to sing about the goodness of God. It says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves and continue to do a good work. Stay steady. Stay obedient. Stay consistent. Thank God for everything in, 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 in your life. The things you don't like, the things you don't enjoy, man, it's, it's all from the Lord. It's all teaching you something. It's all providing you something. It's all God's way of guiding and directing your life. Just stay in it. Most of who I am today came from very, very hard circumstances. So God, thank you for that. Thank you for every season we're in. So let's shift our minds to gratitude right now. I'm going to pray over us, and as I do, I want you to thank God for things in your life. Father God, right now, we just, we're thankful. We stand before you in this room. We thank you for the shoes we got on, for the meals that we're going to eat today, for the house we live in, for the vehicles we drive, for this great church we attend and serve. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your patience. We thank you that that when I'm confused and when I'm hurt, when I'm angry, you just look right back at me and you say, my son, my son, my son. God, we thank you for all the good things that our life is surrounded by. So if there are those in this building right now that are struggling, Lord, I pray that they are able to have just a a paradigm shift in their heart. God, just let let, let them shift into a place of, of gratitude and thankfulness for all the things that were always ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord together and sing about His goodness.